Chapter Twelve of the Last Egyptian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ian Stewart, Rosanna, Victoria, Australia. The Last Egyptian by L. Frank Baum. Chapter Twelve. Chapter Twelve. Nephthys. Kara's plans were now maturing excellently, save in one particular. He did not wish to acquire a fondness for the girl who was his proposed victim, yet from the first she had cast a powerful spell over him, which all his secret struggles failed to remove. Waking or sleeping, her face was always before him, nor could he banish it even when engaged in play with her father at the club the egyptian was shrewd enough to recognize danger in this extraordinary condition and it caused him much uneasiness finally during a wakeful night he thought of a means of escape tadros said he to his dragoman in the morning go to fedah and fetch nephthys here i have an empty harem at present she shall be its first occupant even the dragoman was surprised he had begun to look upon his master as one affecting the manners and customs of the europeans rather than the followers of the lax muslim faith but his face showed his pleasure at receiving the command most certainly my prince said he with alacrity i will take the first train to fedah and the beauty shall be in your harem within three days kara caught the tone and the look on second thought tadros he said gravely I will send Ebek in your place. I may need your services here in Cairo. Ebek? That doddering old Arab? He will never do at all, cried the dragoman blusteringly. I alone know Fedah, and I alone know how to deal with Sarah, and how to bring her fat daughter to you in safety. It is I who will go. Send Ebek to me. Not so. I will go myself to Fedah. Am I the master, Tadros? You think so, because you are rich if i knew of the tombs you are plundering it is i who would be the master you are in great danger my poor dragoman tadros who had been glaring defiantly upon the other dropped his eyes before the cold look of kara besides some one must pay old sarah the two hundred and fifty piastres due her he muttered somewhat confused it was the contract and she will not let the girl come unless she has the money send ebek to me the dragoman obeyed he did not like Kara's manner. He might, in truth, be in danger if he persisted in protesting. No one was so deep as he in his master's confidence. But what did he know? Merely enough to cause him to fear. Ebek performed the mission properly. He not only paid Sarah her due, but gave her five gold pieces into the bargain by his master's instructions, and he brought the girl closely veiled to Cairo and delivered her to Kara's housekeeper the rooms of the harem had been swept and prepared they were very luxurious even for cairo and nephthys was awed by the splendour of the apartments to be devoted to her use her dark serious eyes glorious as those attributed to the houris of paradise wandered about the rooms as she sank upon a divan too dazed to think or speak neither faculty was a strong point with nephthys however meekly she had obeyed the summons from the master who had purchased her she did not try to consider what that summons might mean to her what use it was her fate perhaps at times she had dimly expected such a change 
Kara had once mentioned to her mother the possibility of his sending for her, but she had not dwelt upon the matter at all. In the same listless manner that she had carried water from the Nile and worked at the loom, she followed old Ebik to Cairo, leaving her mother to gloat over her store of gold. The journey across the river was a new experience to her. The journey by railway was wonderful, but she showed no interest. The great eyes calmly saw all, but the brain was not active enough to wonder. She had heard of such things, and knew that they existed. Now she saw them saw marvellous Cairo, with its thousand domes and minarets, its shifting kaleidoscope of street scenes, its brilliant costumes and weird clamour, and the medley of it all dulled her senses. In a way she was really amused, but the amusement was only sensual. This costume was more gorgeous than the braided jacket of Tadros the dragoman, she observed. That house was better than the one old Hatacha had lived in, but beyond this vague comparison, the sights were all outside her personal participation in them. The part she herself was playing on the world's great stage, the uncertainty of her immediate future, the reason why this tall grey-bearded Arab was escorting her to Cairo, were all things she failed to consider. So it was that on her entry into Kara's splendid harem, the girl could not at first understand that the luxury surrounding her was prepared for her especial use. Had she comprehended this fact, she would still have been unable to imagine why. She rested upon the cushions and gazed stupidly, yet with childish intentness, at the rich draperies and rugs, the gilded tables and chairs, the marble statuary, and the tinkling perfumed fountain in the corner, as if fearing the vision would presently dissolve and she would awake from a dream. She had brought a bundle under her dark blue shawl, a bundle containing her cotton tunic, the spangled robe, and the wreath of artificial flowers. The blue beads Kara had once given her were around her neck, all but one, which she had carefully removed and given to Sarah, her mother, for an amulet. She hardly noticed when the old hag, who acted as Kara's housekeeper, tossed her precious bundle scornfully into a corner and began to disrobe her. The shawl, the black cotton dress, the coarse undergown were one by one removed, and then the flat-bottomed homemade shoes. When she was nude, the hag led her to an adjoining chamber, where her bath was prepared. Nephthys wondered, but did not speak. Neither did old Tilga, the housekeeper. She saw that the girl needed a scrubbing rather than a bath, and gave it to her, much as if she were washing a child. Afterwards, when the fat, soft skin was dried and anointed and properly perfumed, Tilga led Nephthys to the robing room and dressed her in underclothing of silken gauze and a marvellous gown that was fastened with a girdle of cloth of gold. Pink stockings were drawn snugly over her chubby legs, and pink satin slippers with silver beadwork adorned her feet. Then Tilga dressed the girl's magnificent hair, placing a jewelled butterfly against its lustrous coils. When Nephthys was led before a great mirror, she could scarcely believe the image reflected therein was her own, but the woman in her was at last aroused. She smiled at herself, then laughed, shyly at first, now with genuine delight. She could have remained hours before the mirror admiring the gorgeous vision, but the hag pulled her away, dragging her by one wrist back to the boudoir with its gilded furniture and the fountain. As she sank again upon the divan, 
her eyes saw a tabaret at her side upon which was a bronze lamp with a floating wick and a tray of cigarettes she seized one of the latter eagerly with a half-defiant look at old tilga and lighted it from the tiny flame of the lamp then she leaned back upon the cushions and inhaled the smoke with perfect enjoyment tilga nodded approval surveying her new charge the while critically she had much experience with harems and wondered where prince kara could have found this exquisite creature for to oriental eyes at least nephthys was really beautiful and perhaps few men of europe would have gazed upon her perfect features and great velvet eyes without admiration the rich dress transformed the nile girl her luxurious surroundings but enhanced her beauty seemingly she was born for a harem and fate had qualified her for this experience the afternoon that nephthys arrived kara was at the club playing a cart with lord consinor he was steadily winning and in compliance with his usual custom he declared he would continue to double until he lost i am not anxious to get your money consinor he remarked carelessly there will doubtless come a change in the luck before long the viscount was visibly disturbed in all his experience he had never seen a man win so persistently already the stakes because of kara's system of doubling were enormous and the game had attracted a group of spectators who were almost as eager as the participants gradually the afternoon waned until at length the prince announced in a low voice that the stakes were ten thousand pounds consinor shivered but with his eyes on the flame-lit ring of the prince he cut the cards and played his hand as well as he was able kara won and the viscount threw down the cards with a white face already he was ruined and to risk a deal for twenty thousand pounds was more than his nerves could bear i'm done prince said he hoarsely bah it is nothing returned kara lightly we will merely postpone the play until a more favourable time when this cursed streak of luck which i deplore more than you do is broken we will start afresh and you shall have a chance to win your money back sign me a note of hand and i will go the viscount drew a sheet of paper towards him and signed a note of hand for ten thousand pounds according to the rules of the club the paper must be witnessed by two members so colonel varin and erring von roden pencilled their initials upon it kara stuffed the document carelessly into a side pocket but a moment after as if struck by a sudden thought he pulled out a paper and rolled it into a taper this he lighted from the blaze of a lamp and with it relit his cigar afterwards holding the taper in his fingers until it was consumed to a fine ash not a word was spoken the others watched him silently but with significant looks never suspecting he had substituted another paper for the note of hand while consinor as the ash was brushed to the floor breathed more freely the pleasure of winning ought to be enough for any man remarked the prince and rising from the table he sauntered from the room nevertheless it is a debt of honour said colonel varin gravely but it is fortunate consinor you were playing with prince kara the fellow is so confoundedly rich that money means nothing to him and he will not take his winnings unless you force him to accept them i know that returned the viscount i would never have allowed another man to double the stakes during a winning streak perhaps i should not have allowed the prince to do so then he also left the club 
for despite Kara's seeming generosity in destroying the note, his own insidious nature led him to suspect every man he had dealings with, and the amount involved was so enormous that it would swallow up double the sum his father's crippled estates were now worth. On his own account, he had nothing at all beyond the salary he drew from the Ministry of Finance, so he realised his danger, and could not resist feeling that he had been led into a trap. Meantime, Tadros had not forgotten, as his master had done, the probable arrival of Nephthys by the afternoon train. He should have waited in the ante-room of the club for Kara's orders, but instead he returned to the house, and found that the girl had already been there for an hour. "'I will see her,' he muttered, and disregarding old Ebik, who would have stopped him, he entered the harem. Thrusting aside the draperies, Tadros coolly stalked into the girl's boudoir, then stopped short in undisguised astonishment at what his eyes beheld. Nephthys was reclining upon the divan, smoking her cigarette, resplendent in her fleecy silks, the golden braid and the sparkling jewels. She smiled and nodded as she saw her old friend the dragoman, but Tilga burst into a flood of angry protestations and curses, rushing at the intruder, and trying to drive him from the room with futile pushes of her lean hands. Tadros resisted, and when the hag started to scream, he covered her mouth with his hand, holding her fast at the same time. "'Listen, old imbecile,' he muttered. "'Do you wish to lose your place with Prince Kara? "'Be sensible, then. "'You are under my orders, "'the orders of Tadros the dragoman, "'and you must obey me.' "'I obey only the prince,' retorted Tilga sullenly. You will not be dragoman when the master hears you have violated his harem. Ah, but he will not hear. It is to be our secret, Tilga. You are going to enter my service, and I will make you rich in a few months. See, here are five hundred piastres, five golden pounds in good English money. It is only a promise of more to come. Take it, Tilga. The hag took it, but with reluctance. If the prince discovers, she began, but he won't, declared Tadros promptly. He will discover nothing. Just now I left him at the club, playing cards with an Englishman. Go outside, my Tilga, and watch in the courtyard. She hobbled away, still muttering protests, and the dragoman seated himself upon the divan beside Nephthys. End of chapter 12 Recording by Ian Stewart, Rosanna, Victoria, Australia